The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Philip Taylor. Our people call him PT. He's the founder of FinCon, which is a conference of personal finance uh, bloggers and other people in the personal finance field. His website is PT Money. He's got lots of good information on personal finance. We'll get into some good de- great detail. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be here with you. Let's just start with your background a little bit and uh, how you kind of led up to creating PT.com and, and this FinCon conference. Kind of give us your background. Sure. Well, um, I came up through the, my college ranks as in, a, in accounting and got my CPA. I uh, spent some time doing corporate finance, internal audit, uh, as well as working for some of uh, KPMG, one of the big accounting firms, and then some other small firms as well. So sort of have a traditional finance background in the corporate world. Uh, loved that and appreciated that, but I, I always noticed sort of a deficit when it came to my personal finances that uh, so the ed- education that came along with that uh, wasn't necessarily something that served my personal financial habits well. And so, uh, you know, in, in, in my late 20s, early 30s, I became interested in a subject of personal finance, specifically like getting rid of my debt, and saving more for, uh, you know, a house and, and things like that, getting married, certainly sort of heightened that as well. But, um you know, so I've sort of developed this passion for this subject of personal finance and, and really improving my financial life in general. And so, um, you know, that's something that I've, that I've been really passionate about for a long time. And in 2007, I started a site called PTMoney.com where I shared my own tips and advice and, and more importantly, my experiences that I was going through to improve my financial situation. Um, you know, I, I did that for three years on the side and on, on the weekends while I was maintaining sort of my corporate career. And then in 2010, I, I made, turned that into a full-time business and started a conference for people who did the same thing in 2011 and have been sort of running both those businesses since. So it's, it's been sort of an unexpected turn with my career in life, but uh, my passion for personal finance has sort of driven it all. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about FinCon, which is the conference you run, and who is that designed for, and what are some of the things you learned about putting that on? Sure. Well, um, back in 2011, you know, I was really into the personal finance blogging scene and really connecting with, uh, you know, a lot of the, the other bloggers that were out there, talking shop with them on a daily basis, whether that be in a forum online or just by email exchanging information. So I really enjoyed sort of that back and forth with these other bloggers because not only were they talking about money online like I was, which in some ways is our last taboo in uh, American society, but, um, you know, they were also trying to build a a blog and build sort of a business out of what they were doing, what they're writing. And um, I really enjoyed those conversations. And about that time, I I decided that it'd be great if, you know, we could all get together in the same room. And so that's what FinCon was initially, was was a chance for me to 
be around these other personal finance bloggers and uh, have them all in the same room where we could just, you know, really get to know each other because it was really a community that existed only online before that point. And so there was something uh, powerful about bringing this group together. And it just so happened that, you know, when I started the conference, a lot of traditional journalists, authors, radio folks or podcasters were interested as well as like financial professionals who were starting to see benefits of marketing their services online through, through the content they could produce. And so it sort of attracted a bigger audience than just personal finance bloggers. And, and that's where I've continued to move the conference since that point. It's sort of something I'm trying to do that really is the industry that's sort of moving itself. So, And tell us about the upcoming conference you have this fall. That's right. So this will be our fourth one, and it'll be in September in New Orleans, September 18th to 20th. Um, and it's two and a half days. Uh, there, it's, it's going to be great. Uh, we have lots of networking opportunities, lots of uh, you know educational tracks and sessions with keynotes. So we'll talk about subjects like uh, how to write better, how to produce better content, like like your radio show you're doing here, or podcasts, uh, and then how to talk about money specifically. So we'll actually talk about some money topics there as well. That's a great opportunity to learn, educate yourself on producing better financial content as well as connecting with people who are already doing that like yourself. So I know you'll be there, Jordan, right? Right, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so tell us about the kind of the state of personal finance journalism and blogging. Is uh, There's a lot of areas of journalism that are contracting. Is this an right. area that's still growing? And what are the driving forces behind the growth of personal finance journalism? That's a good question. Um, you know, certainly, as I sort of mentioned earlier, Personal finance is is something that's sort of the last taboo, I think, in our society, and is that something we're afraid to talk about with each other. But I found that a lot of people are really willing to go online and research information about it, whether they're in their personal computers or in front of their iPads or whatever. And so, you know, I think we can, if we can produce the right kind of content, you know, the, the audiences they are waiting for the information. Um, you know, I've been lucky to be a part of. This early blogging community that started, I would say, 2005, 2006 time period, and and you know, really was just about sharing, um, you know, sharing what was sort of happening in our financial lives, right? So we could do it on online and anonymously and attract a big a big crowd. And I was anonymous for a long time and enjoyed doing that, but you know, I really. Uh, really was able to connect with people because I was the one online sharing that information. So I think there was something powerful about that. It, it was sort of different from traditional journalism and that, that the self is outside, is not, is not involved with the piece. It's more of a, um, well, I can't explain journalism, <laughs> journalism to you, but, uh, but basically I, I think that element to personal finance has been beneficial in, in terms of the overall conversation that's happening online about money. Uh, so I'm proud to be a part of that, but also I respect uh, certainly what true journalism has to offer, uh, which are things like you know credibility and sourcing and 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 research and, and true true you know the things that make journalism great are are what I think as blog as a blogger something that I want to be continuing to push into the content that I produce online. Um, but, you know, just in general, I think people are hungry for the information. There's lots of different ways that information can go out. And I'm excited to see, you know, where the, what the future holds for that. How do most personal finance bloggers make a living? I mean, they're putting out this information, but where is their source of revenue from that information? Right. Well, 
certainly some may not be interested in making a living from it. They just may be interested in sharing information. But the ones who do, uh, certainly there are a few ways you can do that. You could create a product or service of your own. Uh, for instance, um, you know, someone could, could write a book and then market use, and use their blog to, you know, market the, the sale of that book. I know one blogger, um, Mike Piper from obliviousinvestor.com, who does that really effectively. He has a series of books on Amazon and his blog is all about getting people toward those books online. That's his only product or service. He doesn't use any other advertisers or merchants to, that he deals with. And, and so he just leads people toward his books which I think is great. Um, so anything really you can market that you own, so a service or a product, like I said. So certainly there are certified financial planners and other sort of uh, financial professionals out there who have a service that they're offering. And I've seen a lot of them use a blog as a way to market, you know, what they have to offer. Um, but I would say sort of in the infancy of blogging and, and um, using personal finance, I guess, to market something online. Certainly, AdSense, Google's AdSense, or any kind of contextual advertising like that, or any type of banner ads, or what's called affiliate marketing. Uh, those are some of the ways that if you don't have a product or service of your own, that you can uh, make money off of the content that you're sharing online. So do you think a lot of the people in your community are, in fact, earning a living on their uh, blogging and they're putting out this information through the ways you mentioned affiliate marketing and ads and so on? Right, yeah. I, w- I would say it's probably about 20% of the FinCon community that I would say exists on the, at a pro level like that where they're, the content they're sharing is, uh, is providing a, a full, you know, a full income for them. Um, you know, we're, we're, like I said, whether that be from strictly from banner ads and AdSense or is it related to a service that they then offer that provides a full-time income for them, so... Overall, what are some of the most, and we're going to get into some details of specific yep. products, but what, what are some of the overall topics that are of most interest that uh, bloggers are writing about that the audience seems to enjoy these days? That's a great question. Um, you know, I would say uh, certainly anything related to saving money always has a big hook. Anything related to making money as well. Those are the, you know, the two sides, the big two sides of the coin, uh, certainly that, uh, that people are interested in, um, you know, right now, obviously real estate, uh, with, uh, with, with, with summer coming around, people are looking to get into a new house. So if you can write about buying a home or selling your home or, or renting out your home, certainly this is a good time to do that. Um, vacation, travel, how to save money in those areas, I think is big. Um, let's see, you know, anything, um, insurance related or, or credit related, I think is, is sort of information that people, don't have readily available or weren't necessarily taught in school, and so they can look online to, to find that information. I think that's helpful. Um, so lots of, lots of good courses. We talk about a lot about uh, side projects or side hustle ideas, uh, basic entrepreneurship on my site. So that, I think that's a, a great way for people to, you know, get to financial freedom a little bit quicker is to invest in their time and money into a uh, some type of side project like I have with my blog and now with my conference. I mean, these two things have been great for my personal finance situation, and I would certainly push people toward looking at uh, ways they could do that for themselves. Yes. Uh, in general, do you think that the financial literacy of the population is getting better or worse? I mean, on one hand, uh, more things are being taught at high school and college level, but there's an awful lot of people still getting into debt and taking on student loans and getting into trouble that 
don't seem to be financially literate. What is your sense of the, the general level of financial literacy out there in America today? Right. Well, I think there's a, uh, I think I agree with you, you know, that there's certainly more push to have things, more things in school. But I, I just think with fin- with personal finances, it, uh, you know, even for me, you know, I, I came from an accounting background, had my CPA. But, you know, I still struggled with my finances early on. I had bad debt that I was dealing with. Uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of savings early on in my life. And I just think it ultimately comes down to the person. They need to decide that that's important to them and then work toward that. I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily a, a magic bullet when it comes to creating a course out there or something in high school or college or some required thing. I think it really de- it's going to take the person to want to do it. You know, it's going to take the person to need to do it. And we each need to go through that uh, experience on our own. And I think once they hit that point, as long as there's good information out there for people, which I think there is now, then uh, there's so much more more information out today than there was 20 years ago. So I think now that there's that information out there, you know, people can certainly find it easier. But it still takes them to, uh, to take the initiative to realize, hey, I need to fix my financial situation. I'm ready to do it. Let's go research and figure out how to do it. I think that's that's sort of how it's, it's going to exist. How it's going to exist into the future because we're only getting more uh, access to things. It's only getting more easier. So spending um, our reliance on um, you know immediacy is only getting is only getting easier. And so um, you know, I just think that you know it's going to it's going to take an in, the individual person to to kind of step up and do it. Very much so. We're going to get into some details of all the different areas you cover um, about personal finance after this. Uh, my guest this hour is Philip Taylor. Uh, he is the founder of the PTMoney.com website and also the FinCon conferences on personal finance uh, with personal finance bloggers. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central, every Sunday. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit marchofdimes.com 
and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Philip Taylor, whose website is ptmoney.com. He's kind of the impresario of personal finance bloggers around the country, and he also runs a conference called the FinCon Conference of people who are doing personal finance blogging and writing about personal finance. Welcome back to the show, Phil. All right. Good to be back. So we're going to go through some specific topics uh, that people should know about in the personal finance community. The first one is saving for kids' college education. Now, we have a lot of people getting to college not saving close to enough and therefore borrowing. Uh, we're seeing uh, student loan debt up to about $1.2 trillion and climbing very fast. What are some realistic ways that people can save uh, to really be able to afford college and not to have to borrow so much when they get there? Right. Great question. And something I know on a lot of folks' minds, uh, I'm, a young, I'm a young parent myself, and so uh, this is a hot topic for my wife and I, you know, whether we should save. And so I know there's a lot of folks out there who are, who are looking to do the same for their kids, and I think that's great. Um, and, I, and uh, you know, certainly a lot of people graduating pretty soon here, and so it kind of fresh on the on the mind. So first thing I would say on this topic is that I think uh, college is a great thing, and I think most people should strive to try to get to college if they can. I think it's a worthy investment. Um, I enjoyed my college, and I certainly would hope for the same experience uh, for uh, for most people. So I would say, first off, uh, make sure that if, if you as a parent, make sure that you're taking care of your financial goals first. So it's certainly important to try to help your kids with their college to make it more affordable for them. But uh, in my opinion, colleges, their, their college education is mostly their business, and uh, you certainly want them to be able to help as much as possible, but uh, I think you should allow them to be the major, um, major you know, influence in terms of their ability to, to afford college. So save for yourself first. Make sure that you're maxing out your retirement plans. Make sure that you're hitting all your personal finance goals. Uh, before you start investing in someone else in, in your kids. Now, I still think it's great to invest in your kids, and I do that myself. Uh, so we have 529 college savings plans for each of our children, our three girl, our two boys and a girl. And I think those are a great way to save uh, for college. So we just do a small amount each month automatically into those 529 college savings plans. And what those are are, are plans created by individual states across the United States that uh, have certain tax advantages, um, and uh, there's a state tax advantage to them and a federal tax advantage to them. And mainly it's a way for you to save money for your kid's college tax-free. And so um, there's two types. So you should know that there's a college savings plan and a college prepaid plan, and uh, each state typically has one or the other. And uh, I would just say that for, for most people who have a, a state tax, um, you know, it's probably wisest to look and see what your specific state has in terms of availability of a savings plan or a prepaid plan. A savings plan, obviously, a little more flexible in that uh, in that you can, um, you know, you typically use the the funds 
after that point in any university that you that you say before, where the prepaid plans are typically have maybe a few more strings attached, and uh, you might be required to to use it on the on the specific state that you're saving saving in. So, if you do have a, a, a state tax, uh, focus on the ones that are available in your state because there are uh, state tax breaks that uh, you know certainly could benefit you. And I, I would advise maybe sitting down with a a local CPA or a financial planner to uh, to determine, you know, which one makes the most sense for you. But if you don't have a state tax, you know, uh, I would I would advise a college savings plan in the best plan available across the United States. For instance, I use uh, Ohio's college savings plan. College savings plan. Uh, it's at um, I forget their their website name, but it's a great plan. And I live in Texas, so I'm using a college savings plan that's based out of Ohio. And uh, my kids will be able to use those funds uh, in any state across the United States. The reason I chose Ohio's plan, which is at collegeadvantage.com, I believe, is uh, because of their great investment uh, funds that they have there, as well as the low cost uh, to the fees to those funds they have as available in those plans. So, um, now, now, one argument against 529 plans, Philip, is that if you start building up a lot on that, you're going to get less financial aid. When you get to school, in fact, it's an argument against all savings. The more you save, <clears throat> the less financial aid you'll get. Is, what is your response to that argument? Well, I would just say that um, while I was rambling on the, the college savings plans there, sorry about that, uh, one thing I did want to mention up front is that certainly while we are planning for our kids, uh, to help our kids out with a little bit of their college, uh, we certainly don't want to, uh, we're not trying to save for it all necessarily, so we're just trying to give them a little bit of a leg up in terms of, you know, what they have to say. So I, I think it's wise to save as much as possible, you know, for your kids if you can afford to do so and not rely on loans um, and not not rely on someone else's funding to pay for your education. I think it's, it's just, you know, if you can afford it and you can you know, save up for it and do it. Um, and who knows what will be available in the future. Uh, but I know that now I can save for my kids' college now. And so that's what I'm going to do. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm going, only going to try to help out a little bit. And if, and if once they get to that point, if they can either use scholarships or grants or work for it a little bit or, yes, take out a, a loan, I think that's okay. I think a small student loan is a, an okay thing, and I, I certainly did that. And I think it's a, something that I don't have a, necessarily a big problem with. Um, I know that sort of world is evolving right now, but in general, you know, I don't think borrowing for uh, education isn't necessarily a big bad thing, and so um, I would just say, you know, like I said, you know, do what you can now, which is to save. Like, who knows what's going to happen or be available in the future? I would just say, work on uh, setting up one of these plans, automating it, doing a small amount each month, and um, and and know that you know, 18 years from now, you're going to have a little something available for. The way I always put it is, any dollar you're saving up front is one you don't have to borrow later. And you know you have it for sure. Who knows what's going to happen or what the interest rates are going to be when you borrow uh, later. All right, let's yeah. go to another topic, which is uh, financial advisors. There's so mm-hmm. many financial advisors out there. Some are fee only. Some are fee plus commission. Some are commission only. They all say they're your financial planner. How is the average person supposed to find out who's going to give them appropriate financial advice based on the incentives and the knowledge of all the different people that are out there? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I know it's certainly lead with no one cares more about your money than you. Uh, so, you know, be your own best advocate here and, and be aware of whatever financial situation you're getting yourself into uh, and make sure you fully understand the money moves that you and or your financial advisor are making 
to make the most of your money. So, you know, I, in this world, um, I, I don't have a financial planner that I work with specifically yet, mainly because I don't feel like I've saved quite enough yet to justify going to uh, have someone else look at my money with me yet. I'm close to that point. Um, but I have worked as a one-off with a CFP, like you said, who's a fee-only. And I think that's a good that's good advice for anyone. Go sit down with a, a fee-only CFP and, and talk to them about your current situation and know that they're only going to charge you uh, for the time that you've, you've sat there with them. Um, and walk away from that conversation knowing more about your money and knowing more about your situation, maybe having a little bit of a game plan going forward. So not necessarily giving them the keys to help you manage, you know, your money going forward, but sort of giving you a check and balance against uh, what you're what you're doing. So who to trust, you know, uh, I would say look for designations, CFPs, CPAs, those type of folks. Um, they have, you know, done done the time, done the work to uh, to achieve a certain level of, certification there, and they've got a lot to lose when it comes to uh, making a mistake with you and your situation. So they're certainly motivated to help you. And I, I, would, I would ask everyone you work with this question straight up. I would say, how, do you, how are you going to make your money? So you need to ask that advisor how exactly they're going to make their money off of working with you. And uh, if you can't get a straight answer out of that person, then I would walk away. Uh, if the answer they gave you back is really confusing or is something you just can't wrap your head around, then I would also walk away. So unless you can wrap your head around how they're making their money off of working with you, I wouldn't work with someone. So I would sort of use that as an intro barometer in terms of working with someone. Um, and then I would just say, lastly, like use a variety of sources. I'm a financial blogger and CPA. You know, I write articles online. There's uh, all kinds of uh, podcast, uh, radio shows like yours, Jordan, who provide good, good information. There's books out there that are great. So use a well a uh, diversified set of, of sources uh, to sort of, in your own common sense, to check, to check anyone's, uh, you know, advice that's going to be given to you like this. So, Very good. Uh, another area is Roth IRAs versus 401Ks. Uh, the Roth IRA, the money is growing tax-free, but you're putting in after-tax dollars. With a 401K, you're putting in pre-tax dollars, but it's growing tax-deferred. How do you figure out which is the best place to put money if you can only afford to do one or the other, a little bit on each? Yeah, that's a great question, and one one I get on the blog all the time, so much so that I wrote a specific article on this topic. You see a lot of young people who are uh, maybe just starting out with their career, and they have a company 401k that they have available to them, um, but then they also have heard about this Roth IRA magical thing that's so great and a great way to save for their retirement. Um, and I like both. Obviously, I like both options. They're any kind of tax advantage uh, savings accounts for retirement. These things are wonderful. They're a great approach for people to get involved with. So, so I certainly uh, like the 401k, especially if you've got a company who's matching, you know, dollar for dollar uh, for the money you're saving for that. For that, it's hard to pass up that money. In most cases, it'd be very foolish to pass up that money, um, regardless of what type of investments are on the other side. So. Um, you know, certainly take advantage of the company match that's that's there, and then you know I would say maybe after that point, after you reach that maximum, a lot of people choose to maybe then sort of funnel their money toward the Roth IRA. Uh, I think that's I think that's maybe a good approach. Get your 401k match, and then the funds you can contribute additionally. I would say maybe open up a Roth IRA and contribute those funds there. And uh, of course, there's income limitations you need to be aware of with the Roth IRA. To make sure you're not making too much money. To, that would prevent you from doing that. But 
Uh, we certainly try to max out that Roth IRA every year. I think it's what six thousand a year, or fifty five hundred. Fifty five hundred under fifty, and another thousand over fifty. Right. Yeah. So, so I like that next, and then uh, if you can max that out every year, then go back to the to the four hundred one k. So I, I like you know I'm sort of a cop out answer, but I like both, George. I mean, I think having both gives you a tax diversification, meaning in retirement. Um, you won't have to pay any taxes on the money you're pulling out of your Roth IRA, but you will have to pay taxes on the money that you're pulling out of your 401k. But, you know, when you contributed, you sort of did the reverse there. So um, knowing that will give you a lot more flexibility in retirement to pull the funds out at the smart time that make, that make the most sense for you. So yeah, like a little bit of each um, yeah. yeah, I think I think for young people, certainly the Roth IRA is really attractive. Um I mean, yeah. The advantage of the 401k is it's automatic out of your paycheck and you won't even notice the money being gone. Whereas the Roth IRA, you actually have to write checks or people kind of actually do something. And in many cases, they have good intentions, but they don't actually end up doing something. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Philip Taylor. He's the founder of ptmoney.com, which is a personal finance website and blogging site. He also is the uh, founder of a conference called the FinCon Conference of Personal Finance Bloggers. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Philip Taylor. Uh, he has a website, ptmoney.com. He also runs a financial 
bloggers conference called the FinCon Conference. And welcome back to the show, Phil. Glad to be back with you, Jordan. We want to talk about the benefits of making extra money on the side. A lot of people have jobs, but that's, they're not really bringing enough money to do that. What are some ways of getting, legitimately getting some decent money on the side to supplement your income? Yep. Uh, I love this topic. You know, uh, oftentimes in personal finance, I think people tend to, to focus on the saving money aspect of, of personal finance versus the, the making money. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's so important to, uh, to focus on making money because, you know, you, you, there's only so much expense you can reduce out of your life. Say you're spending $2,500 a dollars in, in a month in expenses. I mean, the most you could ever save is twenty five hundred dollars. You'd be living a pretty meager existence at that point. But with on the flip side of the coin, with with income and uh, bringing that into your life, I mean, there's so much potential there, and you could really ramp that up. And and so I love talking about this this topic because you know ultimately I think there's only so like I said there's only so much saving we can do. But then let's Hey, let's, uh, let's let's figure out a way to, to bring in some more income because bringing in more income is going to add security by creating a second source of income for you. It's going to diversify your income sources. Uh, it's going to help you fast track to financial freedom, whether that be to pay off debt faster or, or save money and put them into these 401ks, Roth IRAs, like we talked about. Um, certainly helps you switch your mindset, and this is important. It helps you switch your mindset, I think, from a consumer to a producer. You know, um, and it gives you something to do besides spend money or like veg out with your time. And yeah. I think focusing on the, on these topics, uh, this topic is certainly important. And lastly, it's going to help you build skills, uh, for whatever you do in the future. So looking for ways to bring in extra money certainly is. So, so what, what would be some examples? I mean, some people yeah. do network, network marketing as a way to do that. The idea is to have leverage. You're not just, uh, trading time for dollars because there's a limit to that. If you can have leverage, and bring your money in, right. that's a better way to do it. What, what are some ways that you found successful to bring in extra money? Right, you make a good point, but I don't, wanna, I don't want to, um, you know, put freelancing or trading time for money in too much of a negative light because I think that's a great way for people to get started, and I think it's a great for, way for people to discover the skills they have and see the market that's available to them. Uh, so I certainly um, want to caveat with that. But So what I like is ideas that are, already exist in your normal routine. So, for instance, you you'll probably have a, a the listeners probably have a house. Uh, they probably have a car. Did you know that you could rent uh, a room in your house or rent your house out to other people? Or did you know that you could rent your car uh, using these services that are online these days? You could uh, use your free time to do something like babysitting or uh, dog walking if you like walking. So, again, you're talking about trading time for services, but there are ways to sort of work these money-making ideas into your normal routine. And that's what I want to stress to people is that sometimes these ideas, they don't need necessarily a big radical change in your life. You just need to look for ways that uh, sort of work into what you're already doing. Um, another way to, uh, you know, make, make extra money, I think, is, is certainly to, uh, you know, get rid of the things that you already have. So certainly selling your junk selling the stuff that's around your house that you're not using. That's a quick way for people to make money. And we can certainly talk about bigger ideas and scale if you want to get into that as well, too, Jordan. What, what do you think about network marketing as a general way of increasing your income? Um, you know, I'm, I'm typically more, I'm, I'm, I'm typically not a fan of that model because typically, you're, in my opinion, you're building a business on, on the back of someone else's company. So you're, you're representing someone else's company and 
you don't have, in my opinion, with a network marketing idea, you don't have full enough control of the business. So I like businesses where you get to push and pull all the levers yourselves and you're not dependent too much you know, on, on outside forces that affect your business. So, for instance, my two businesses, I own a blog, right? So I get traffic to that blog from Google, so I'm, dep- I'm too dependent on them. And then I don't have a product or service of my own on that blog, so I sell ap- advertisers that will work, you know, the products and services from advertisers that will work with me. And unfortunately, uh, those come and go, you know. And so I don't like that. I mean, the business has been great, but I don't like it in terms of a long-term idea because it's uh, too many things are out of my control. Now, take my conference, for instance, and it's sort of the opposite. I mean, I have almost full control of that business. I can create the event. I know the people that I'm going to invite, and I, I know the you know the uh, expenses that I'm going to have there. And so most of it's under my control. I like it, and um, you know I can I can push and pull the levers to try to increase it up. So I would I would push people toward businesses that they have the most control over all aspects of the business. Very good. You also talk about tips for really making savings work. You have what you call the automate and separate philosophy. Explain that mm-hmm. to me. Right. You know, it's a little bit like I'm sure most people have heard pay yourself first. I think that's a great mantra. It's uh, huge in personal finance world. I love that mantra. And, and so the, this, this sort of takes that and makes it more X's and O's, makes it more of a strategy. So what I've had trouble with in the past, I mentioned sort of in my late 20s, early 30s, I was struggling with being able to save a lot of money, whether that be for an emergency fund or with a, um, or for a house down payment. And it just seems like at the end of every month, I was trying to maybe pull money from my checking account, put it on for a savings account or a retirement account. And, you know, you know, some months that would be, it would be a lot and I would put money over. Some months it wouldn't be anything. You know, I was just relying on this sort of what's at the end of the month uh, approach to saving money. And it just wasn't building up fast. It was just really slow. And like I said, I was dipping into those funds too much and it just wasn't, it wasn't working. So, what has worked for me, though, since that point is I've automated and separated my savings. So we've already talked about some places you could separate, like the Roth IRA or the 401k. These are places where there's penalty for actually pulling your money out too early from these accounts. So I like uh, putting my money in these separate places and automating it. So making sure that either it comes out from your paycheck or once it hits your checking account, you have an automatic uh, withdrawal or transfer over to your savings account or Roth IRA or college savings, 529 savings plan. So all these accounts you've set up in these separate places um, now have this automated push from your checking account or your paycheck to go over into those accounts. Now, once you set this up properly, um, all this is happening. You can start with small amounts, you know. Um, this is happening automatically, and before you know it, you won't even miss this money, and you'll be able to go in there and maybe you start adding more money to these uh, deposits over time to increase them, and it's just a great way to make sure you're paying yourself first, um, you know, month after month. And it's something that's been, it sounds simple, but it's something that's been really magical for me uh, and really worked in terms of helping me to uh, save more money than I ever thought I'd be able to. It's good to save the money, but today you're going to earn nothing in either a checking account or savings account or even CDs, where would you yeah. put that money that you are saving so at least earn something for you? Right. So if, if I wanted to earn money on my savings, I would certainly put it in, in you know, I'd put it in the stock market. 
but it, 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 so it depends on what you're saving your money for. So if I was saving money for a house, I would put it in a simple savings account. I wouldn't. I would make a big attempt to earn money off that money because I'm more interested in using that money uh, toward a specific goal in the short term, and I just don't think, you know, there's uh, it's worth the risk of putting in the stock market at that point. So I think it all depends on where what the goal is for the money. You know, if it's a long-term savings goal, then certainly the market I think will have its ups and downs, but over a longer period of time, you know, you'll be safe versus something like an emergency fund or, a, a, you know, a house down payment or a car down payment. And those kind of things need to be in, in, in savings accounts. And, yes, it stinks that you can't make money off of those accounts these days, but uh, at least your money is secure, FDIC insured, and I think that's most important for the short-term savings goals. Now, as an aside, there are a couple places where I do um, – I do some investing for the short term that I sort of, um, you know, take a little more risk with. And that, that is LendingClub.com mm-hmm. and it's RealtyMogul.com. So that's uh, basically... But Lending Club is the peer-to-peer lending where you uh, yep. other people are borrowing and you're lending to them. And what is right. the Realty one? What are they doing with that? RealtyMogul.com is the same thing but for real estate projects. So I invest... You know, five thousand of my money for a and you know, say there are fifty investors in this uh, real estate project. Whether that be a single family home, um, a um, grocery store, or you know, whatever it may be, any type of real estate project, um, the Realty Mogul sort of connects investors who don't want to who can't. And they've got a pretty good good record of repaying those realty loans. It's not too risky. Yep, I've been with them now for three or four months and. Um, you know they're they're um, they're paid on time every you know every month. So, Great, well, that's I, would a good totally, idea. I would advise anyone any accredited investor to check it out. And uh, and you have to be accredited. To you have to be accredited at to get this, into real. At this point, you do. Yeah. Okay, that means like our annual income of about three hundred thousand assets of a million or more, basically, is what right. it to be accredited. Right. Yes, and I know there's. Some, it changes going on with the jobs acts and our federal government that may change that. But as of right now, I think you have to be a standard to credit investor. Yeah. Okay. Another area you wanted to talk about was what you call credit card churning, where people mm-hmm. go from one credit card to another to try to get the bonus miles. Uh, what's right and what's wrong about credit card churning? <laughs> well, this is certainly not a topic for someone who struggles with debt, either that they're in debt or, or they foresee themselves being in, in debt in the future in terms of consumer spending. So if you have credit card debt or if you uh, sort of know that, know yourself and know that, you know, you struggle in this area, this is certainly not a topic uh, for you. So, But if you use credit cards uh, for the points and you pay them off every month religiously, uh, and typically, hopefully, you have some type of automated payment set up to do that, I think this may be a topic you're interested in. Um, this is something I've recently got into the past couple of years. It's called credit card churning, and basically that concept is take advantage of the bonus offers that credit card companies offer for airline miles and points. And this has resulted in a lot of free travel for me, whether that be buying my plane ticket or purchasing the hotel uh, through the reward system. Uh, so, you know, big upfront bonuses these credit card companies are willing to offer is something I've been able to take advantage of. And what you do is, uh, for instance, you take an inventory of the cards that are available in the market, you analyze your usage, you know, what kind of spending you can do, and you look at these bonus offers and say, yes, those are the ones I want to go for, and you pick two or three maybe for your first uh, time of, of doing this churn. 
you apply all at once. Uh, there's some things you can do to make sure that, um, you know, you, you get those applications through. You do your spending, get the points. Uh, you certainly use the, the travel, uh, toward, you know, use those points toward the travel. And then rinse and repeat that annually, um, maybe upping it to four or five cards the next year to get, you know, to get more bonuses. And uh, there's tips I can give you for making sure you get the application through and also avoiding annual fees that we can go into more if you want to, Jordan. Very good. You'll find out more about that at ptmoney.com. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is Philip Taylor of ptmoney.com. He also runs a conference for personal finance bloggers called FinCon. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, Still, half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Philip Taylor. Uh, He is the founder of the ptmoney.com website and also the conference FinCon, which is of personal finance bloggers. Welcome back to the show, Philip. Great to be back with you. So, so other topics I want to touch on is uh, being a landlord. Uh, now, apparently, you are a fairly new do-it-yourself landlord. Uh, some people think this is very glamorous, and you've got all these rental income coming in, and it's quite easy. So what could be wrong with being a landlord? Tell me from real experience. <laughs> well, it's certainly something I didn't take lightly. I'm a conservative guy in general, and so uh, being my own landlord was something that I had maybe some small dreams about doing one day, but uh, certainly had my concerns about it as well. My wife's kind of conservative too, and, and she was really nervous about it. But ultimately what happened, we became what I think a lot of people are becoming these days, sort of an accidental landlord, and that uh, maybe a couple of years ago you, you wanted to get out of your house, but uh, either it was underwater or uh, just wasn't 
pricing in terms of the market what you really hoped it would or would expect to. And so uh, an option at that point is, is if you can get another loan for your new home, um, is then to consider renting out your home. And that's what I did. You know, um, luckily, you know, when we did purchase this home initially, it was something that I did see in the future as potentially being a good rental for us. And so knowing that going in, I think sort of helped us make this decision a little easier. Certainly when you go this route, uh, you look at, Things like working with a realtor or with a property manager as maybe ways to uh, help reduce some of the risk involved with doing this. And I think those are good things that people should look into doing for themselves um, or look into using or, you know, considering like I did, doing it all themselves. Um, so what are some things that people might be surprised about being a landlord that they don't expect? You know, I think to me the, the one thing that really caught me off guard was um, – with how difficult it is to evaluate potential tenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so certainly it's, it's easy once, once you open the doors and say, all right, my place is for rent, to find renters. But then you don't really think about, oh, how do I evaluate these renters and how do I determine who's the best one or is it a first-come-first-serve basis or, you know, and, and I think I had a lot of education around that area that I need to kind of, uh, pick up on. And, and so what I would advise people do is to have a system in place before they rent their place out uh, of evaluating potential tenants. Now, this is something the property manager would do for you, but if you're doing this yourself, uh, certainly have, a, a, and you can go online, you can search for tenant evaluation checklist or tenant, um, um, you know, some type of tenant evaluation, you know, fee yeah. or, or, or whatever it is. And, um, you know, certainly you can sort of take people through certain steps. And luckily now, with the advancement of online tools, there are credit and background checks that can happen online without you even being involved. And so what I typically do is when I get a potential renter in the door, I ask them some basic questions to make sure that they're right for the home, knowing that I don't want pets or smokers or things like that. Um, and then I... Uh, you know, I, I send them to an application online, an, autom- an uh, online tool that also checks their credit and their background, and it gives me a report that I can then forward to the HOA for approval as well. So um, certainly evaluating tenants is something that, um, like I said, was sort of tricky when I got into it. But, yeah, um, okay. yeah it's, it's been a great experience. Good. Another area I want to mention was uh, health care and health care insurance and health savings accounts has obviously been a huge controversy this year about Obamacare. Is it good? Is it not? Are people picking the right plans? What are some tips you would have for people picking health insurance in this kind of new environment we're in now? Yeah, yeah. So I would certainly say first, it's been both good and bad for me personally. So if you don't mind, I'll share a quick story about that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being self-employed, I had uh, my own private, in, you know, individual health insurance before Obamacare rolled out. Uh, here in Texas, those plans didn't cover maternity. So whenever we decided to have babies, it was going to be a twenty-five, dollars $30,000 proposition. And there's obviously cheaper ways to have babies. But if you go the traditional route through the hospital and, and do the C-section and all that, it's going to be about $20,000. And so I wasn't ready to eat that expense. And so I was pretty bummed that I didn't have uh, insurance that would cover that. Um, but I understand how the insurance market worked and why they didn't. Um, but then Obamacare comes along and here you go. Now, uh, no maternity costs are covered in these plans. So the one downside, though, is that uh, the cost of my plan tripled. So 
So it went from about 360 a month for a family of four to about $1,100 a month for a family of four. Um, so good and bad, you know. So I, I kind of you made out better, even though you paid more for your premiums. You made it up in the cost of the maternity easily. I would say in your case, I did, I did. So if you're out there on your own, certainly, uh, like like I was, certainly go to a website uh, called I, I like the website eHealthInsurance.com. That's who I purchased my insurance through. And I was able to get a plan from uh, Humana, which is obviously a reputable insurance company. And, you know, compared plans, I like the plans that are uh, high deductible um, because they they come with the ability to open up a health savings account that's attached to it, which I think is the best type of tax advantage savings account that the government has to offer. And so uh, I would certainly recommend if someone's able to, you know, have their own savings and have uh, the ability to pay a high deductible and working with a, a type of insurance that uh, plan that has the ability to have a health savings account, I think, is a smart way to go. I want to talk about another topic briefly, which is your credit score. A lot of people don't look at their credit score very much or really understand how the thing goes up and down. What are some quick tips that people can use to improve their credit score? Right. So there are five basic things that make up your score. You know, what that's paying your bills on time, keeping um, like new like your requests. Uh, whether that be hard or soft credit inquiries, uh, keeping those to a minimum. Um, your credit history goes into your credit score. Uh, you know, the, the percentage of your credit that you're using is in there as well, as well as, like, the diversity of your debt, like what types of debt you have, whether that be a home or credit card or a car payment. So I would just look to my tips would be a revolving around those sort of five factors that make up your score. So obviously paying your bills on time is huge. If you're not doing that. Uh, certainly, you want to be doing that, and you want to go to your credit report and make sure that uh, it does reflect that you have been paying your bills on time. So, credit reports often have uh, misinformation on them. So, go to uh, annualcreditreport.com and, and pull those reports up and make sure that uh, you know what you think you've been doing is what's actually reflected in your account. Uh, secondly, I would say uh, certainly keep all new requests. Low. So if you're going to be purchasing a home or using your credit in the future, certainly don't go out and apply for credit cards or loans for furniture, or loans for cars, things like that. You don't want a lot of new credit hits on your uh, on your report. The, the, these inquiries. are called hard inquiries, right? Hard inquiries, yeah. You don't want a lot of those on your report because they're going to ding you a small amount, but they will ding you. Yes. Uh, and then sort, certainly uh, look to grow your history. So the longer you've been around, the longer, more credit you have, uh, the more credit history you have, the certainly the better you're going to do. Again, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that really quick, but you can go to your uh, credit report and make sure that the, uh, the accounts that should be on there are on that report. And I would say the fourth tip uh, along this lines would, would keep, in those, keep, keep those credit uh, balances low. So about 25% of your credit available line of, line of credit you should be using. So, for instance, if you have a credit card with a $10,000 uh, credit line, I would say at most you should be using $2,500 a month on that card and then paying it off, of course. Um, don't don't use too much of your debt capacity is what you're saying. Right, right. So you want to keep that row. If the debt capacity gets high, that, and, and, that really does hurt your score, yes. Right, and that's across the board as well. In about a minute uh, or so we have left, we, we, we're just yeah. about running out of time, Philip. So just okay. kind of summarize briefly what kind of things people can learn about PT Money and how they can improve their financial consciousness with all that you're offering. Right. So what I try to focus on is, is helping people improve their financial life so they can build the life they want, right? 
not just fixing their finances just for the sake of doing it, but to lead them towards something that gives them more happiness and fulfillment in their life. For me, that was spending more time with my family and uh, building up businesses on the side and, and now that I own. And so the ability to fix my finances and, uh, and clean up you know, the debt out of my life and have more savings, those things really helped me to make big advancements in, in doing the things that I wanted to in my life. And so I would just say, whatever it is you want to do out there, it's probably going to be a lot easier to do if your finances are in a better position. So, you know, come to the site, check out what we have to offer, and be entertained and get news and get advice and reviews and uh, and move toward that better financial life. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest has been Philip Taylor. His website is ptmoney.com. He also runs a conference called the FinCon Conference of Personal Finance Bloggers. And thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show. Thanks for having me, Jordan. And thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.